Welcome to the Belonging Project podcast. This is Fiorenza and I'm your host. The purpose of this podcast is to bring voices together to talk about belonging. Through inspiring real-life conversations, we explore how belonging can show up in so many different ways, what it feels like to belong, and the impact of truly belonging. Each episode will offer you inspiration and practical strategies to find your true voice in your life and as a leader. Let's dive in. Today I'm talking with Dr. Sharon Lowe. Dr. Sharon Lowe is a licensed clinical psychologist with expertise in the developing brain, specifically in understanding the role that our context, culture, and social environment have on how our attention and self-regulation skills unfold throughout childhood and into adolescence. After seeing and experiencing the difficulty of translating research findings into practices that are applicable and useful to the community and larger society, Dr. Lowe strives to increase the access and dissemination of evidence-based tools for kids, parents, families, and in particular, those from marginalized backgrounds. Dr. Lowe accomplishes this mission through several modalities, such as providing clinical services, offering expert consulting services, and working in the digital mental health industry. Welcome to the Belonging Project podcast. Hi, Sharon. I'm really excited to have you here with me today. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, so when we connected and we were planning for this episode, we landed on how you encounter the topic of belonging and issues of belonging in your work as a licensed um, clinical psychologist. And your expertise is in working with um, children and parents. We want to deep dive um more on that, of course, in a minute. And before doing so, I would love to know more about what drew you into this field of work. So initially, what really drew me to clinical psychology and specifically working with children, I think for as long as I've known, I've always really enjoyed being around children and playing with children, in part because there is something about their ability to access their imagination, their play, all of these things that I think over time we end up losing throughout adulthood at times because they are, you know, at a time of, of childhood, like really early childhood, the sense of belonging, I think for early childhood is, is intact, you know, it's really there. And then as you go through different types of environments and social contexts and culture, something begins kind of taking away from that ability to access you know, imagination and play and connection. Um, and then once you reach adulthood, you know, suddenly we're in adulthood, we're trying to do all of these different things to kind of get back some of that 
that childlike energy or that, you know, connecting with our inner child, things like that. So, um, so really I started with just a focus on really wanting to understand in child development, you know, what are these skills that are really critical um, to living a long and happy life? Um, and with those skills, you know, are what are some of the things that really get in the way of the development of those skills? And then if they get off track, what are the ways that you can kind of get back on track? You know, are there different interventions that help with that? Mm. So that's how I got the start. And then I actually, I never thought that I was going to go into clinical psychology as a field. Like therapy was definitely not on my radar. It wasn't something that was really talked in, you know, my, my own household. So um, it was really after I think a, a close friend of mine was like, oh, you know, kind of with what you're describing that you like, you know, this combination between wanting to apply the science into a practice and working with kids and cultivating those skills, those all sound like what a child clinical psychologist does. Um, and so that's how I ultimately ended up in, in that field. It, oftentimes, you know, I think for young kids, you also see them, you probably had the experience of like, oh my gosh, uh, you you shouldn't say that. Or like, I can't believe that came out of your mouth. It's very like unfiltered. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so they're, you know, they're very honest, um, very honest and, and truthful. And, and, and they also have, you know, the, the places in which, you know, I begin working with parents quite a bit is most of the times they're coming in because of some sort of behavior that's kind of interfering um, with their day-to-day -day or ability to kind of go about um, their activities. And, and so, Young children are also unique in that they are able to access things that adults can't um, or adults have more difficulty with. And at the same time, they're like their frontal lobes are still developing. So they're still learning how to um, how to how to regulate their emotions. So emotion regulation ended up being like the primary skill as uh, along with like executive functions or so ability to like plan, organize, decision make, problem solve. Um, those two were really the two skills that I ended up diving into really deep, like throughout graduate school, understanding how are these forming over time. And the other thing with kids is that for the, for the young ones, there are two like different developmental windows that are like, you see this very sharp increase in, in regulation skills, in executive functioning skills. And that's in preschool, so right before they enter kindergarten, and then again in, in adolescence. And, and so sometimes, though, without like some of those prefrontal uh, lobes, you know, as, as mature, um, which those areas continue to mature up through to the age of 25 years old, mm -hmm. um, which is longer than some people anticipate. Um, but as a result, you know, young kids also have pretty good access to their feelings, their emotional states, the, the window of time between when they experience the emotion and then when it turns into a behavior, like, you know, the hitting, the temper tantrum, the, you know, th that window is very small, right? And as they develop the regulation skills, that window of time will like increase, increase, increase. Um, but there is also something I think for me, like the question of why kids, like I think there's something about their ability to access that feeling that you see them really openly 
embracing that emotion. Mm-hmm. There's something about that that is also, you know, lost over time for for adults that I think we do try and kind of get back to. You know, we put in a lot of different um, adaptations for ourselves, you know, throughout childhood and adolescence and adulthood um, that, that in some ways are like required to perform a certain way, to adapt to the environment in which you're in. And sometimes that could mean, you know, suppressing your emotions or could mean um, coping with your emotions in such a way that later on that adaptation no longer serves you, right? Yeah, I'm curious whether a younger child um, that may not have the words to express things like belonging, like how did that show up in, in your work? That's a great question. So yeah, so oftentimes, um, you know, for, for children, for young children, um, it, we can't necessarily have them fill out like a questionnaire, you know, the validated measure of belonging. <laughs> and, um, and so a lot of what we do is we can, we can um, like kind of imperfectly measure it by trying to understand um, how are they relating to other um, key individuals in their life and in their environment um, and in the places in which they may be interacting the most. So whether it's daycare or school with their peers. Um, And so I think there's a lot of kind of like observation around what do those relationships look like and the the attachment styles and how are they um, both developing their ability to um, self-regulate and self-soothe? And then how are they allowing others to support you know, they're, they're self-soothing. Um, and so those, those same concepts of like, it's a great question because it's like, what does inclusion and kind of acceptance and respect, those feelings of respect look throughout development at these different developmental stages? I mean, it, it also brings about like, what are, what are the different factors of belonging you know, at these different stages and how does that change over time? Because I could also see, you know, an important part of belonging is, yeah, feeling like you're really integrated into this like social system around you. Um, And so feeling like that there is this sense of like empowerment and choice like that, that piece comes a lot in like um, the autonomy, like in uh, development of independence, right? That looks different at like various milestones for really young kids. It might be like being able to like, you know, go to, go to the potty, like it's potty training stuff. And then, um, you know, once they get older, it's more um, becomes... Uh, yeah, finding their their identity and the groups that they belong to um, at school. And it's very focused on peers rather than the the family familial relationships. But yeah, I love that question. Um, I'd, I'd be curious just like with, with your son, like if there are elements that you also see, if you were to kind of track his belonging over time, what, what pieces kind of come up for you? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm trying to think... So often I have that feeling that I, I have, 
I, I don't have all the pieces of the puzzle because when he goes to um, preschool, I don't see, right, exactly how is he interacting with peers. I get a, I guess, just a glitch of it when it's time to go and pick him up. And, you know, from what the, the educators are, are telling me. So, yeah, there are pieces that I feel I'm not seeing. I see friendships forming with uh, some family members, you know, beyond the, you know, his parents um, and peers and um, people that look after him. And that makes me wonder, you know, is, is, is that a form of belonging to mm-hmm. for him? Or even with our pet, right? It like is creating that relationship and including, you know, other um, people or, you know, animals in his life into drawings or into his plays, right? I'm like, ah, okay, right? So there's there's something happening that obviously wasn't there a year ago yeah. and it's been slowly um, built up. So I don't think I have a real answer, but that's probably like, the different um, elements that I'm, I've noticed. Does that kind of match what like your other <laughs> parents yes. are telling you? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. We're like, like, um, yeah, preschool and daycare and school. All it's like a black box. No idea what happens there. Um, and then the the best we can do is we often do go to the educators and have them fill out some measures too, you know, to get their report of, um, you know, certain behaviors and relationships that they observe. Another really critical piece, I think, when it comes to belonging um, in child development is the child's own sense of their cultural identity and how just like the the joy and the positive development of I am so like that pride of being I, this is this is who I am this is the culture I belong to this is the family that I'm a part of and and those pieces are often pretty reliant I'd say like on on the the immediate home environment to develop and then school can really augment it as well um and at the same time school and then other other like I mean even even at home too so let's just say like all environments over time there are certainly a lot of different types of experiences, as you can imagine, that then make make that pride and that joy difficult. Because especially if you're in an environment that is different from the the cultural identity that you know, let's let's take like race and ethnicity. If if the child is embedded within an environment where um, it's almost um, in order to feel a sense of uh, belonging to that environment, it's almost needing to um, reject their immediate culture, you know, and th- this happens often. Um, then, then you have, you know, you have a bit of conflict. Um, what am I supposed to do? Because this immediate environment and where I'm beginning to spend m- much of my time, like for children, it could be school and amongst their peers. And I'm supposed to kind of cut out this part of myself that seems like it doesn't relate to these other peers that I'm hanging out with. So that is something that I think oftentimes like happens for, for kids. Yeah, totally. And I'm I'm curious about the different factors that may change 
or maybe may not change over time, kind of starting at early childhood and then going all the way through uh, being an adult. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So the things that might change um, in like related to belonging. Yes. Yeah. So belonging seems like as far, I mean, I'd, I'd be curious your perspective on this too. There seems to be such an emphasis on it's like the interrelationship, whether it's between another person, another group, your work environment, or society at large. Like belonging is like it's a dynamic. It's not just like you. <laughs> it's how you're in relationship yeah. with all these other areas. So I think for um, you know, from childhood and then through adulthood, what that would look like, probably the the best like you know, the easiest model to to talk about it is um, there's a very popular developmental model that you may have heard of called the the Bronfenner model, the socio-ecological theory. I haven't Um, done So it it essentially, you have these concentric circles, like these, you know, these circles embedded within one another. Um, And at the largest, you know, largest circle that is kind of like expansive and and everywhere is something that's called the chrono system, which refers to these are changes over time, right? So like the the pandemic being one of those things that has changed the history, right? Like as we as we as individuals move through time, that has impacted, you know, what the experience of children who were born during the pan- pandemic look like versus not in the pandemic. Um, so that's the, the chrono system. And then the next layer is the exosystem. I'm pretty sure hopefully I have these right. Um, and that embeds like uh, the, the, the culture, the society, political systems. And then the next layer is macro systems. Um, and I believe that covers almost like environments that may affect the the child but not totally directly so it could be like um the parents social network and the parents work setting you know who who, these might be things that end up affecting you know the child some way if the parent has a bad day at work and then the next layer is then the mesosystem so basically you can kind of see that there's like these interacting um Almost, it's trying to build the, the, a picture of an environmental context. Yes. Um, there have now been some theories that, because Brown from Benner didn't, it's almost like they put culture on the very kind of outside circle. And so now there are um, more theories that are trying to deliberately integrate culture within a model like this. And so they actually put culture at the very center and it's kind of spreading across cutting across those kind of layers and and in these models like in the Bronfenbrenner model there's the the child that's at the center so it's kind of like like um individual focused and then these kind of newer theories are trying to say yeah it's actually culture that feeds into you know the values that you have and the belief systems you have and um the different socialization processes that that you'll have. So so for me, I think when I un- try and understand what's changing over time in relation to belonging, um, it would be probably how those environmental contexts are shifting and those political systems are shifting over time. Because yeah. then the way that you're relating is also probably 
going to change. And then I think the other kind of big piece within that is um, just identity development for kids and teens um, and how that is changing, I imagine would impact their, their sense of belonging. Mm. So which groups that they're tending to identify more with. Um, and that's across, you know, all of the, the intersectional identities. Um, then they may begin to be drawn to find belonging within these different, all these different kind of dimensions of, of life and ways of identifying. Yeah. And sometimes I wonder about the um, the links with self-awareness in terms of, well, firstly, reflecting on different identities, dif- different groups. What does that mean? How does that relate with our maybe overall sense of belonging? And I'm, I see self-awareness as being like a pillar for getting to that sense of belonging. Um, I don't know if that resonates or if this is what <laughs> um, research says. Yeah, like almost like an insight and self-awareness around like your own, like where you're situated in, in the world and your identities. Yeah. 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 And like we all often say like, oh, I don't belong to this group or, you know, um, I'm not getting a sense that I'm belonging. I well, I'm welcome, that type of thing. But the what does that exactly mean? What does that exactly look like if you were to feel that you belong? What do you need to see there? Mm, yes. Yeah, I think that's a really critical piece. Yeah, because it's not, you know, belonging is something that I, I do believe is like an innate feeling that we have. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily something that can be someone can be telling you, oh, well, in order to feel belonging, you should do X, Y, Z, right? Mm-hmm. It is, it is, it's something that, you know, what does belonging mean to you? Something that you are defining for yourself, which I think, yeah, to your point does require that self-awareness of if you were to one day wake up and feel like I am belonging, you know, I'm just feeling the sense of belonging, what would what would that day look like? Mm-hmm. You know, who would you be interacting with? What would it feel like in your body? You know, those are all really great exercises and reflections mm-hmm. to have. Um, yeah. And then understanding that that answer could change for you over time. How do we live this like long and happy life and develop a sense of well-being and okayness and contentment in the world it does come back to having this like be like being okay with you like you know just like who you are and there is a a a self-acceptance piece and almost be like a kind being kind to yourself, right? Like I know like self-love has been used more and more. Like sometimes I don't, you know, I feel like that term doesn't quite capture it, but it's like a, the only feel, I mean, I can, I can describe it of how it feels in my body where there's just this like settling, a settling back, a sigh and being like, you know, I can be a friend to myself. Mm. And I do think that that is connected to belonging, because I, I imagine when you feel that kind of settling, 
there's not so much of a, I need to fit in with this group or I, I need to get this kind of reinforcement from this group or this group or this group. And not to say that it's all just like on, on the individual, because there are certainly many, many types of systems that we encounter in structural racism that don't allow for, don't, don't cultivate a sense of belonging. Would that be okay for you to share some examples of issues that you've encountered in your, in your practice, in your work, uh, just the, the impact that belonging can have? In the work that I've done with some of my clients, I think that moment when the, there's that settling back I, I th- and that like acceptance of like, you know, I'm okay with myself. So I feel like is like a, a key component. Yeah. And so something, sometimes that comes in the form of like now with the pandemic, since things have really switched to, to virtual, the virtual world um, for young kids, I'm really just working primarily with the parents and it's, it's equally, if not like more effective. Um, and so oftentimes, um, you know, as far as themes of belonging that come up with parents, it's, um, you know, a sense of, there's a lot of like, not good enough, a lot of guilt, you know, not being the best parent that they can. And yeah, and feeling like they they don't belong to certain parent, like parent groups or m- many feelings I think of like self self-blame and and guilt and my so my practice has during this time has shifted a lot. The clinical practice has shifted to focusing a little bit more on you know, just the how how the parent is filling up their own cup. And, and what exactly that means, because that's become a lot more critical than jump diving into, okay, let's, let's, let's do the skill development of different um, parent strategies to help manage, you know, your child's behavior. It's been a lot more focused on, on just the parent and, and what are the things that the, the types of support in, in their environment, um, as well as like within themselves, mm. um, to be able to to just regulate with the world that we're in right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then the the other place where belonging comes up a lot that I see would, would certainly be in like the adolescent mm-hmm. um, phase, which is pretty consistent, I think, with, with what's going on at that time. Probably like middle, middle school. As soon as you start realizing like, oh my gosh, <laughs> that like those, those self-conscious feelings of... Um, I am me and there are these other people and I want to fit into this group, you know, all the, just all those pressures or you see it on social media, right. That like comparison piece of being able to see yourself out, you know, as separate from, you know, another person. And, And a lot of those feelings, you know, are, it's almost like if, if a child did not experience those feelings, it would be somewhat unusual. So it's actually, it's a very normal part of development. So it doesn't mean anything is wrong. It's actually your child is going through the the cognitive development that we'd anticipate, you know, being able to think about their thoughts, right. That, that skill develops during that time. Yeah. And, and they're building the skills that they'll need for once they, you know, get into a, a different, maybe if they're going to university or then going on to like a, a workplace, those are all, um, these types of social interactions are all going to, to happen. So it's also a really normal part of development. 
And um, what's coming up for me is just how much it usually matters during adolescence to fit in, right? To group, at school. Um, and we also hear and read a lot about how belonging isn't about fitting in, belonging versus fitting in. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Is that like a normal, um, I guess, is it part of normal development, cognitive development or emotional development? What's, what's the situation with fitting in and belonging? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. I'd be, well, so I'm going to answer a, a, your question with a question, but what are, what are some of the things that you've heard specifically about the fitting in versus belonging? So fitting in would be, so think that I, I would tend to associate that with is, okay, you, you would conf- conform to a group um, to a group identity over and beyond your own. Maybe there are mm. identity that you're um, inclined to not mention or cover up because you have a concern that then you may not fit into that group. Not feeling or feeling that you may not be accepted if you were to speak your mind, share your opinions, maybe even share your your culture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in your household or, you know, of your family. Yeah, those would be the top two things. Or, uh, you know, even of the workplace, I guess, right? So that's yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, I think the, the phrase of, like, how do you show up so authentically you, sometimes in a really raw form, and still feel like you're accepted, that, that for sure, very different from the fi- the fitting in that you're describing of like hiding of these different parts that are so critical to you. And so it does remind me of, um, I don't know if any of your guests have um, mentioned internal family systems before. Okay. (laughs) So um, this is a a model that was developed. um, I believe it's Richard Schwartz. um, And it was actually initially for um, helping children and families um, where the uh, children were uh, dealing with challenges with disordered eating. Um, And so it was really trying to externalize, like, this is the disordered eating voice. And this is you, right, to kind of like separate. And sometimes we we do this um, for uh, anxiety, right? So sometimes if I'm working with a, a child and their parent where the child has anxiety, then it's like, oh, what is the worry bully voice saying? You know, so you separate it from, from the child. Um, because sometimes it can become very frustrating. Like, why are you doing these different behaviors? Um, and, and it can be very difficult for the parent to see the good part, you know, of, of the child. So you kind of separate it. Um, and so another really good kind of uh, visual of this or like um, a depiction of this is Inside Out, the Pixar movie. Yes. So to have all these, it's essentially, you have all these different parts and voices of yourself, mm-hmm. right? And in Inside Out, it's actually emotion characters. Um, but for us, you know, th- you know, think I, I would encourage, um, you know, your listeners to think for yourself, you know, what is that like the inner critic voice? Like, what does that character look like for you? And what about this other voice when it's like the fitting in, I want to be popular voice? Right. Or maybe is this the voice that happens when you're feeling really just like the shame monster comes in? Right. We kind of like have all these different 
characters. And at the center of it, you know, part with belonging, it's like the goal is that whatever like that true self character is for you, then what makes that one come through? Like, it's almost like, so if you were trying to fit in, maybe it's one of these other characters that's like, oh, I need to be this way and cut out these other voices and characters. And so belonging is more about how do we get that, like, that authentic, true part of you, you know, shining and and thriving. Mm-hmm. And it's both, I think, reliant on the capacities of, you know, that... Um, the, the, the person, so that self-awareness piece. Um, and it's also reliant on having a, in, an environment that is that encourages that courageousness and vulnerability and bravery to come through as that authentic person, mm. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really love the, uh, I know the concept of having different characters coming up or yeah, maybe having this louder voice at different moments in time. Yes. Um, and so am I understanding correctly then that this is a normal process that everyone kind of goes through? Um, yes. Like when, when like different characters will like grab the microphone, and like be yeah. on the podium. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a very, it is the result of us being human. So it's a very human experience. Yeah. Um, I think most often, probably for adults, they often hear about it spoken about as the inner critic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, those those concepts have been very helpful um, f- for me, too. Um, like, my, my, like, inner critic is, like, this perfectionistic character that is, like, a Medusa, like, very scary. <laughs> very scary with the snakes and the thing and the, I mean, all of it. Um, and so sometimes, you know, if, if I'm doing, you know, my own practice, of like belonging or needing to, you know, working on my own stress and regulation, then I will like sit out like, yeah, just like sit and I will imagine, you know, this character and what is she saying to me? Like, I think all of us know our inner critic pretty well. Um, there are some times that they'll also be described as like a, um, unwanted roommate, like mm-hmm. the roommate that you just don't want and is never going to go away. Yeah. This roommate is going to like be with you. And so, you know, it's gone anywhere from like, you know, shutting the door on my Medusa to like, okay, what is Medusa really needing? Does she need like a hug? You know, these are all things that like practices that as you become familiar with what your characters are so you can imagine how for kids they can actually imagine this very quickly you know it like they know exactly what that worry bully looks like the color the texture is it big is it small is it you know all of these things and so for adults we also know it it just takes a little bit more time to get there to imagine it but for some people um it may come up pretty pretty quickly yeah I'm yeah I'm already getting a a picture of a you know a kind of more wrinkled less less pleasant and kind of like you know hair is up and like very like perfect um (laughs) version of me that is not really cool to um to handle and so with with regards to fitting in versus belonging then I guess my question is to belong do we have to go through a reflection on are we fitting in? Do we want to fit in? And then we get mm. to the that brings us to 
actually want to belong or so I don't think it's like a prerequisite that you need to fit in in order to feel a sense of belonging is is my opinion yeah in part because like belonging also has this um like in order to find like the true who you are the true identity Mm -hmm. um that identity may not fit in perfectly with with different types of groups but you can still totally be authentically who you are in the world um, and feel like the world sees you and is like, you know, I see you, I accept you, and that you feel that acceptance, you know, and, and respect and being a, a part of it all. Yeah, so I don't, I, I, yeah, so that those are my thoughts. You have your private practice, and um, I understand that you've also transition out of um, academia into mm-hmm. working uh, in digital mental health um, so I'm I'm curious to 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 ask you so I want to ask you um, whether there's been any impact of on your own sense of belonging when you've mm-hmm. made this transition and you've added maybe another piece of you <laughs> Um, to the puzzle. Yeah, so it's it's such a great question because as we you know go on switch careers, go into a different field, adopt a new role for ourselves within our family, like all of these things, there's changes constantly. You then need to kind of embed that into you know your your. It needs to be integrated in some ways with your your past self your future self into your present self. And so, yes, certainly I think with in academia, there was certainly like um, a type of uh, like hierarchy um, that also exists within the corporate world. But I think it's that like the, I'm surprised by just like what I have started to learn about the work environment in the, in the tech industry, mm-hmm. you know, and the times that you feel like, wow, like, I just don't know if like this industry was made for folks of color to excel and um, thrive and flourish, you know? So I've certainly had those moments and also feel very grateful and privileged to work alongside coworkers and colleagues who also notice that for themselves too, right? And so I think that shared experience, being able to find a community uh, that understands those experiences is what has kind of continued my sense of, of belonging you know, it may not like the fitting in thing with like the, you know, a very tech corporate kind of structure, um, the the stance that feels like is required to be able to speak with like executive leaders. Those are, are things that oftentimes, you know, brings about that imposter syndrome, brings about that like, oh, like, I don't think I belong in that. I don't think this was created for me. Like, it just doesn't fit, you know, what feels like my livelihood. And yet, in those moments, I know that I have a community to lean back on, you know, within my own, like, workplace 
that can hear that, understand it, see it, acknowledge it, validate it for me. And I think that that, you know, ends up really filling my, like my belonging cup for sure. Mm-hmm. And what I'm getting a sense of is that it's also kind of, it's filling your cup. So it's creating that greater sense of balance. So the experience of still being in the digital tech space mm-hmm. still be embraced and it's still worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's, I mean, when it comes to just like my, my, my reason for shifting into this particular area, um, it really was, and, and still is just the promise of what technology has for being able to disseminate and make mental health information and care just a lot more accessible. So I think that ultimate goal, it still exists within this industry. And, you know, if I'm being realistic with myself, it's also the reality of like, you know, the, the type of corporate structure and like the um, different types of like white, like white privilege and those will always be things that I will encounter in the world, regardless of if I'm in this industry or not. So I think that's also like a, a, a very true reality, you know, for me that I, um, that I also consider as well, you know? Yeah, yeah totally. Thank you so much for um, your honest answer um, to, that, to that question. Um, I want to thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure to, have you on the podcast and I I feel that this episode is also somehow you know quite special because we get to talk we got to talk about like parenting stuff and like you know children stuff that are (laughs) on my mind so yeah I feel like I just had a therapy session for free (laughs) what a great feeling (laughs) more seriously thank you thank you so much it's been really helpful and I know there are quite a few parents of young children as well um, amongst the Belonging Project podcast listeners. So your thoughts and your shares and insight are really going to be appreciated. And um, belonging is so at the center of many things. Um, really grateful for for you and being a guest today. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and thank you so much for just you know, you had mentioned that this has been like a passion project for, for you. So I just, yeah, lots of gratitude to you for just sharing your, your light and your, you know, your genuine self through, through this podcast. You can follow the podcast on LinkedIn at the Belonging Project Podcast. You can also hit subscribe and stay up to date with our episodes. And do feel free to get in touch with me on coaching at fiorenzarossini.com. Thank you again and see you next time.